0: This is the Investing in Florida Tech Podcast, hosted by Florida Funders Managing Partner, Tom Wallace.
1: Hello, my name's Tom Wallace, and I'm the Managing Partner of Florida Funders. And uh, welcome to Florida Funders Podcast. Our podcast is all about how to make all of us better angel investors or better founders or entrepreneurs. We really address two audiences here. Um, One thing that I love about angel investing and entrepreneurship is it's so dynamic so fluid, and there's always something new to learn, and somebody new to learn from. I'm so excited. I'm going to introduce to, let Tony introduce himself here in a second. Um, I, I've known Tony a long time, and he's a very good friend, and uh, I'm really excited about having him on the show. Our past guests have included uh, Alexis Ohanian, the founder of Reddit, uh, Ryan Neese, a former NFL football player turned venture capitalist, Jeff Finnick, the owner of the Tempe Lightning, who's a hedge fund sports team owner turned investor, and uh steve raymond just to mention a few steve was the founder of tech data that grew from pretty much zero to 20 billion um which not many people do but uh so uh, before we get started and digging into tony and, and and our conversation here today wanted to give people that are not familiar with florida funders a little background on us we are a combination between uh a venture capital firm we have three different funds uh that we run as well as a um a crowd of angel investors so we kind of are unique in that way that uh, investors can invest right alongside our funds we do institutional um, due diligence and uh, we're the most active venture capitalist in the state of florida according and even in the southeast according to PitchBook. book and uh, we have invested in 80 companies roughly over the last four or five years we've been doing this and we like to say florida funders we're on a mission to change florida from Sunshine State to Startup State, and we want Florida to become known for technology and innovation, not uh, agriculture and tourism. So, with that, welcome, Tony.
0: Tom, thanks for having me.
1: Oh, excited to have you here. Uh, As I mentioned before, Tony and I go back a long way. Uh, Tony is a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, as well as somebody, not only a philanthropist, but he started his own charity. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about that. And along the way, like a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, he's done quite a bit of angel investing. So we're going to touch on all that. So Tony, I thought, you know, tell us about uh, your background and please don't be humble because I know you can be and, uh, you know, start in the beginning because I know you come, so, come from a very interesting and, and not a typical background for a founder.
0: Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think if you want me to go way back, um, I am the product of, you know, uh, uh, probably very romantic one evening. My my parents were pretty young teenagers and my mom got pregnant and my dad had a choice. Uh, he had two girls pregnant at the same time and I think he was afraid of my grandfather who was a bookie and so he decided <laughs> to marry my mom. So it started there um, and obviously that didn't last very long and we kind of bounced around for a number of years, and you know, kind of. when you them, grew up in New York in, City. This was in, actually in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. Yeah, and um, you don't
1: have that much of an accent for at this point.
0: I, I left at a pretty young age, and I also living in Florida. People were picking up on the Brooklyn too much when I was younger, and they were like making a lot of characterizations about it. And the the, the couple of events that stick out in my head, I remember being eight years old, maybe seven and a half, and I was walking downstairs. And I knew there was this loud noise, and, and, and it started off with a bang, and, and literally a bang. One of my mom's uh, boyfriends at the time um, blew up our front window with a machine gun. I lived with my grandparents, and at that moment, my granddad kind of looked at my grandmother and said, we're getting the F out of here. And that was kind of the beginning of probably the best part of my journey, because I got out of Brooklyn. Where there was lots of drugs and crime, and we lived in poverty, to Florida, where we kind of had a little bit of a fresh start. Um, so that was kind of an interesting beginning. We lived in Florida, um, really, for most of my formative years. So from eight all the way through high school and college, and my grandparents. What um, part of Florida it wasn't? I different. lived in Fort Lauderdale. Also, there's a very New York feel to it. Um, but my grandmother died when I was 12, and that was, again, another one of those moments, and then I bounced around. So I probably lived in about 15 homes from the time I was about eight years old to the time I was 18. And sometimes it was with friends. Oftentimes it was with other poor people, um, but I had a lot of helping hands kind of along the way, and I learned a lot. Like, I lived in a lot of different neighborhoods. I lived in all-black neighborhoods. I lived in, like, a super German house. I lived in a Peruvian house where they spoke mostly Spanish, and so I think my great takeaway from living in all those different environments was adapting to change, which helped me as an entrepreneur, Absolutely, but also just communicating, like how do you get what you want when people don't speak that as a first language or culturally, they're, they're a little bit different. And so I learned to maneuver a lot of different situations at a young age, which I really feel like helped me overcome business obstacles later um
1: so i know baseball enters in here somewhere because i know you're you, you play a lot of baseball growing <laughs> up yeah right? i
0: did south florida in potato for one i'm a big yankee fan as you know and i, know I am you, aware of that i know <laughs> you're not a giant sports oriented um or team sports oriented or guy college i am but
1: um or pro college pro. basketball and football
0: um and the funny thing for me is i love pro sports so i love the yankees i'm a big 76ers fan obviously a Bucks fan, a Lightning fan. So I'm more of a pro sports guy, but I played a ton of baseball. But um, And also, I would say what I got out of baseball was all about team and playing a role, which I feel like I use that a lot, too, in terms of sure. building teams <coughs> in business. So Business is a team sport, right? 100%, 100%. No matter, we always celebrate either the one entrepreneur or the one CEO or whatever, but it never is that one person. I don't know anybody that built a business on their own. Unless there may be a single, you know, ten ninety nine sales guy or something like that, but for most of us, it's always a team sport. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, I have actually seen where some founders end up with a hundred percent of their company. They never raise outside money. They don't. They never share any of the equity in the company with any of their partners or the team that helps them build it. I always felt that was kind of sad. I was like, you know, so you get you have an exit one day, and
0: what do you, who do you celebrate? Who with? you celebrate with? <laughs>
1: Oh, I Hopefully you're married, yeah. You know, but anyway, keep going. So you're yeah, growing so, up in South so, Florida.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I wound up living in a lot of places, and and I'd say again, what sticks out to me is the number of people that helped me along the way, which we'll talk about the charity later. And then um, I graduated from high school, which doesn't sound like a big accomplishment, but it was for me and my family. And um, I was the first high school graduate um, that I knew of in in our direct family. And then I uh, went to Florida State and started out as a computer science major. Because that was just a cool thing. In fact, um, the only reason I got associated with that was one of the many people I lived with. One day said something to me that really stuck with me. It was small, but he's like, "You know, you're a smart kid." I was like twelve years old, and I was cooking to stay in his house, so I cooked, and he let me stay there. And um, maybe I was thirteen. And so, what were you cooking? <laughs> very basic stuff, but pasta and eggs.
1: Something and, Italian. Just, I knew that a lot of
0: a lot of red sauce. My grandmother, before she died, I used to cook with her, and that was. Um, inspirational for me but he said he's like you know you're a smart kid you should get into computers i had no idea what computers were at 12 because they were 1977 It wasn't a prolific thing and i said oh yeah that's me and i started telling people i was going to work in the nassau program and do computers but t- to be honest with you, i didn't know what it was but because i kept saying it people were directing me towards certain math classes and then at fsu in the computer science program and then eventually i got a degree at florida state in mis which was that combination between business and uh, computers and, and went to work for arthur anderson which i loved um i had a great career there made partner there which was pretty cool
1: did you ever write code you don't I strike me as a coder. I, I actually you did.
0: Most people laugh when <laughs> I
1: actually wrote code at yeah. one point in my career too. So, well, I, it was really I, shitty
0: code, but I wrote it. <laughs> I, listen, there's no question. I was probably one of the worst programmers, but I learned a bunch of different languages along the way. So, R base, Clipper, D base two. If you guys remember that, I also did COBOL and CICS, which is more mainframe. And so, when I worked in college, I worked full time in college. I did programming jobs. And so that's how I got through college, and that helped me, you know, pay for schooling. And then I met you along the way, and, and a couple times, um, I I think you really inspired me to be an entrepreneur. I know you don't like hearing that, but it was you were so entrepreneurial, and you you know were trying to get me to join Waldeck at the time. And I was trying
1: to recruit Tony.
0: <laughs> what was recruiting me, and I feel like I was so close, um, but ultimately um, left Anderson to start my own company, which of course, Tom, you were our seed capital. And I I tell people all the time, and I know you hate this saying, but that lunch we had where we pitched you on this idea around CRM online, and you were like, you know, we don't care. I just want to bet on you. And then you wrote a check uh, at the time to get our business started without a real business plan. Like, it changed everything for me in terms of taking risk, in terms of taking that leap forward. And then the rest, you know, we obviously built TriBridge and sold that in 17, and then you know, did all kinds of And you stuff. had a great
1: run, and sure. TriBridge was, um, when, when you sold it, how many employees were you guys at? We had about
0: 850 employees globally and probably another 100 contractors. And you were a
1: country. Microsoft, like Interpo- International Partner of the Year, Partner of the Year. You won so many awards for Microsoft, I couldn't keep <laughs> up with them all.
0: I think we won six times Global Partner of the Year and then two times US Partner of the Year. Yeah. over about a 10 And year I think what's
1: really interesting that I think our listeners would be into, you really started TriBridge with
0: two of your closest friends, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you're we are
1: still very close to this day, right? Oh, yeah.
0: We're 30-plus years. We worked together at Arthur Anderson. So Mike Hurtigan and Brian Deming and I started TriBridge in 98. We all worked together at Arthur Anderson. We all had little kids. We all just were kind of newly married. So that's always harder to take the risk. Sure. And, you know, the older you get and the more attached to – obligations, it's harder to jump off that springboard that you helped us with.
1: Yeah. I know you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs as I do. And one of the things I always tell them, do it while you're young, do it before you have a mortgage, before you have kids, you got nothing to lose. Go ahead.
0: Well, it's less pressure, right? You know, when you're married and and have kids, you, you start making decisions and you're like, oh, like when we left Anderson and we started our own company, our salaries went down by 85%. And you go home and say, guess what? That doesn't go well with the wife. Yeah, here's the great news. We started a company and we have to cut everything. No vacations, no, you know, we're not going to eat out ever again. I did get divorced about two years later, um, so maybe it didn't work for me. But um, there's definitely a lot of pressure, I think, when you have those kind of obligations. So I agree with you. I think the younger you are, I think you want to take more risk and you're dumb enough to leap into things that you don't know. And I think that helps you. Uh, get started for sure and so anyway
1: yeah so you, you and you and brian and and uh, michael are still close to this day that's that's all i love that yeah okay. i you,
0: you know i think it could have ripped us apart i, I think it well, it brought us close together yeah right?
1: partnerships are tough right yeah, it's like being yeah. married
0: especially three-way partnerships normally like i think two people might like each other but the three of us today still get together a ton we still vacation together at different times Um, we've done other things together. We've co-invested Brian and I've co-invested in a bunch of stuff together. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I'd say they're like some of my best friends in life, you know, 30 plus years together. And we've probably, hopefully we got 30 more to keep doing stuff together. So it's been a joy. Mike joined me at a line. I I was at the board at a line and Mike came on and and became our CTO a couple of years ago. And so I think our lives are just can continue to interweave like, like yours and mine. Yeah. Um,
1: I've been more. I don't know if you watch any of these streaming shows, but I've been watching uh, Super Pumped, which is oh, the yeah. story of Travis Kalanick oh, yeah. and Uber, and that one's really uh, kind of close to home because I know a bunch of people know Travis. And and then I've been walk, watching We Crash, which is you know the story of of WeWork. Yeah. And as I watch these two shows, I mean, both the two main characters, Travis Kalanick and uh, Andrew, Adam Adam Newman, are just you know your quintessential crazy entrepreneurs that are just egomaniacs and you know that
0: doesn't describe you at all no. thank you
1: i mean that. As a no i i
0: appreciate that yeah
1: and uh i was on tony's board at tribridge for 15 years or so oh, yeah. and i always tell people this that you know you were in 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 one respect probably more than any other founder cei ceo i ever met more generous with your team and more selfless than any CEO I ever met and I mean that as a compliment of course but I want to hear more about that from you because when people watch these shows like I'm watching these guys are anything but selfless I mean Travis Kalanick (laughs) is just ruthless I mean it's all about it's hard to watch (laughs) it's it's painful at times yeah yeah. but you were very successful (laughs) and you didn't do that you were you were quite quite the opposite of that
0: yeah I I, when I watch the shows it, it there's, it's hard not to compare yourself because you know you've sat in the seat before, but you know you did it differently, and you continue to do it differently. And I do the the one thing I share with them not not the many billions, but the one thing I did share with them is the single mindedness and the belief that you are creating something special. And I I did feel that, and I did have that kind of blind faith. So I thought there were similarities there. I think the and diff- you had
1: a great culture at Tribridge of yeah. people that believed that you were yeah. great that you. Yeah, and I
0: think like there's scenes in both we View and in, in Super Pumped. Where, we crashed. I mean, we crashed. The part that for me that's always been different is they played a solo sport. It was them above the team where to me I was always underneath the team. I always feel like, and I don't know why, but maybe partly because of the way I grew up, I felt like my job was to help the team see it and push forward. And I just naturally played a role. And I felt like my role at times was to be in the front, right, and lead with whether that was the press or a customer or vision or the board. There were definitely times where I had the microphone. But for the most part, I always felt like I was just playing a role on the team and I wasn't the team. I was never above the team. And that's just, I think –
1: And I think it's a very strong leadership style, and it speaks to uh, you know the success you had. And I, and, and I think when people watch those shows and they get – especially young founders, I hope they don't look at those shows and say – That's why you got to do it because that isn't the way you have to do it. Well, and
0: I've seen so many guys take that path and fail. I think the thing to think about with both Adam and the guy from Uber is they're wicked smart. They were crazy disruptive to an industry, and they would have been that successful and still, if they would have been good to people and still taken a different role. It's just that their personalities. They needed that sunshine to make them feel good. So I, 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 I sure hope that we're not teaching people that's the path because I see lots of CEOs that do that, that burn out teams. I see them not be able to attract talent, and they're brilliant. So the, the, the fact that you could do both, imagine with the talent like Adam had or Tyler had, their ability to do that and have a culture, just think of what they'd have today. I think they would have done more. And I think they would both be still in their companies versus being ousted from their boards and not being part of the success today. So I think I think there is a good lesson to learn, which is do both. Yeah. You know, have this great inspirational company, but don't make it about you. Because it's never, you said it before, it's a team sport, man. You you know that. I, I've been around you long enough to know that you promote and help other people lift up and if you lift others up i think you do more here's the other thing i'd say the difference is i do think those guys were wicked smart like pretend like i'm from boston wicked wicked smart (laughs) i'm not sure i'm in that category um i think my smarts is on the eq side not on the um sat side you know what i mean i think they have a different level of smart which makes them bad on the eq side because they probably saw things other people couldn't see
1: well, one of the guests I've had on this show is Jason Kalanick, or uh, Jason Calacanis, I'm sorry. And he gave Travis his first $25,000 and invested in Uber. And I remember talking to him about it on the podcast. And I said, Jason, why did you invest in Uber? I mean, I remember first time I heard the idea from Uber. I thought it was the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> like some stranger is going to pick me up in their car and they're going to take right. me to the airport. Like, that ain't going to happen. But obviously I was wrong. Uh, I also didn't, you know, smartphones weren't quite there yet. But uh, I said, "Why'd you do that?" He said, "Because I saw that he was a fighter, and you know, he was going to take on these cab companies and these institutions, and I just saw that, you know, that was that in him. So maybe that was part of, maybe he couldn't oh, have yeah. done it without without some of his personality. But you bring up a good. But point. Tom, don't, don't
0: but don't you agree? Like when you run into a founder that really believes it and they're willing to do anything and they fight through it. That is admirable, and we invest yeah, in, guys, sure. in, in women and men all the time that have that attribute. The question is, how far do you take that? But I, I think that's an admirable Oh, absolutely.
1: Trait. I mean, one of the things that uh, we had our event, La Casa, a uh, couple of months ago down in Miami, and I, one of the panelists was a uh, – actually, it was a kid that found a papa who also was on, on my podcast. who's now a unicorn. I think it was him, and uh, – name's eluding me right now but anyway somebody asked him what's your advice to founders or other entrepreneurs and he, he said never die just never die keep fighting yeah no well, what
0: yeah more more of the, the plan more of who the the segment of the market is those are that survivability feeling of i'll figure it out and whatever assets we have we'll figure out the answer i love that 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 as an investor, thinking about investing, I, I, I'll back that all day.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to segue into investing because you've obviously been yeah. angel investing for quite some time. Uh, what do you like to angel invest in? What do you look for in founders?
0: You know, I I I have a little bit of a simple model. It's more simple than Florida funders, although I am an investor in Florida funders, so thank you for those 80 companies. Thank you. Um, you know, I have to understand the business. So I'll sometimes meet with somebody and they, they can't explain it in a way that I can see it, I won't invest. Even though it could be the next Uber, and somebody will say, like you could tell me, Tony, that's a phenomenal thing. If I can't really visualize how they're going to make money or how they're going to be able to provide a product or service that differentiates, I tend to walk away. So I like to be able to visualize, okay, you're saying this, that's what happens. Even if I don't know the industry, the specific niche, I only invest in tech. So I have other like what I would call mutual fund investments to handle the big corporations that are not tech. But all my angel investments have been around tech because I feel like you I invest own, in what you know, invest in what I know. Um, so and you don't to, do uh,
1: restaurants like I do as a sidekick. I, I would advise against it. It's not very lucrative.
0: <laughs> my, my, my first entrepreneurial experience, which I didn't tell you about, was when I was 24. I started a bagel company, and it was a good kick in the ass. Like, it sucked. So, so I have to be familiar with it. Um, I think in terms of the founder, you taught me this a long time ago. You have to really love the founder and the team, or at least some portion of the team, because if you can't back that, knowing they're going to change the business model, they're going to change what the business looks like. They may change the value prop. You, you're really backing that more than the idea. So I, I have followed that advice, and that's worked for me. And then when it comes, well, one to of
1: the things on the on the founding, uh, founders side, I think is a very very challenging. And I talked to Mark Blumenthal, and I were just talk, talking about this one of my partners of Florida Funders. Who yeah. you know, is you know founders are quirky people. Sure, these I mean, you know somebody once said to me, "Do you do the Sunday dinner test?" like what's a sunday dinner test is it, would, is this somebody you would bring home to your family to have sunday dinner i'm like that's not I, a good if, test if for founders did, if i did that with tech founders <laughs> we wouldn't invest in anything No, these are very quirky people that oftentimes have some hubris and some arrogance and yeah. you know but, but i guess to me hmm. uh you know do they pass the asshole test, because I don't want to invest in assholes. I don't want to deal with them. They may be super successful, and I think Travis is probably an example. He probably was. Stephen Jobs was probably an example of one. They're going to be super successful, but you know what? I don't want to. Not with your money. I, I'm signing up to deal with these people for probably 10 years, Yeah, and I don't want to deal with them.
0: I totally agree. With I have to like the person at some level. I, to me, I, I go to things like curiosity and learning. Like, Because I think you're going to have to adjust no matter what it is. So I try to – and it's hard to judge, right, in five, six, eight meetings. How can you tell if somebody is super curious? Well, part of it is how do they ask you questions? If they ask me no questions, I usually walk away and go, they're not really that curious. And Second, I try to do background checks to find out how do they overcome obstacles? Did they learn something? How quickly did they learn? How stubborn are they? And that's that balancing act. And then I do love, and I said this earlier, I love when they're all in, the belief, that belief like they've got it. There's something infectious, that energy. I have a hard time investing in super passive leaders, even though some of them are successful. So I tend to like people with that energy level that I think is infectious in a founder. And I know that that always doesn't translate yeah. into wins, but for me, it, it really does. And then the last thing, which is, again, another fine line, you, you talked about you know, the confidence level. I love confident, I'm confident. I love a little bit of overconfidence. But then there's the, I'm gonna do $5 million in my first month and the plan doesn't support that. And then you start losing credibility. So where that yeah. line is, I don't know. Yeah. But I try to, like, I encourage people I'm coaching, don't oversell. Sell a little above your your pay grade, but don't go way over here. And so for me, when I'm listening as an investor, I try to judge, did they go over by 2,000% or 20%? If it's 2,000, I tend to discount everything. And then I, I feel like I never write the check. If they're just a, a little bit above their skis, I'm like, all right, they're just a little confident, they're a little ahead, and they're not totally bullshit. Yeah, you want them to
1: have excitement. You right. want them to believe in what they're right. doing. And, and some of that turns into embellishment. Some people do it more than others, as right. we know. Right. And, when it gets to fake it before you make it, and like you're saying, it, it's hard to tell that sometimes. But I, I think uh, you bring up the curiosity thing, too. I was, I was listening to somebody else's podcast recently, and they were talking about how curiosity is a superpower. And I never thought about that, but I think it's true. I mean, I if agree. you have those people that are really just, you know, they want to learn, they're, you know, they don't have all the answers, but they're going to figure it out, and they're going to keep asking the questions. I think that's a great
0: point. even if you looked at travis and super Pop, i know we're talking about that more than we should think about all the different things he had to overcome right he had the taxi commissions then he had the the black car drivers then he had the china issue then he had the apple issue he constantly had to adjust plans and the business kept changing you know into the point where what it is today and then go to uber eats like that wasn't on the roadmap when his the real founder the partner said Let's do this car thing. They weren't thinking Uber Eats. And Uber Eats is going to turn out to be a home run for them, it looks like. So I think if you're not curious, you're not going to see those opportunities. So um, I think the curiosity thing's big. And then adaptability quick, right? It's not just curious for a theoretical perspective. How do I apply what I've just learned and make the adjustments I need to make? Because if you're too analytical, too, I've seen that work badly as well because you're overthinking it. And then you make mistakes because you didn't act fast enough and you missed the market. So it's... You know, part of it's—I hate to say this—you're not going to like this. Part of it's luck. Like you can apply all oh. that, and then we get lucky. There's only a certain number of those folks that pop through and and become successful. Yeah,
1: there's no question. There's luck involved. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's one of the things in angel investing we always tell our investors is don't 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 invest in two or three companies. I mean, this not is enough. this is a low probability game. Um, you got to invest in ten, and then you you can you can mitigate. The, the, the risk and take some of the luck out of it, but there's definitely luck in it. Totally. Um, I got to ask you about, I'm going to get to think big for kids, but before I do that, you've been around the Florida technology scene. When you founded TriBridge, were there any incubators? No. Accelerators? No. Mentors?
0: You. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, A couple, a couple of mentors, I, I, but not a
0: lot of companies. Like
1: places you could go online, blogs you could read about, you know? No. Yeah. Speak to that. And you've been a big part of that. You've, you've been a big, big activist in the Florida Tech community, uh, along with a lot of other folks here. And it's, no, it, it's finally coming to fruition. It took a long time, but at least.
0: Yeah, it's, but, a, it's amazing. It's like you think of the companies you're associated with and then you're proud of those on an individual basis. And then you look at the whole thing and say Tampa Bay was a startup for you and me and George Gordon and all these other, I can name 30 other folks. It was a startup 30 years ago. And now it's a high growth company. So the Tampa Bay tech as a company. And so I feel as proud of that, or maybe even more so than I do maybe the individual companies, because I think about, we've all been doing this virtually. You know, We did it with TBTF. We did it with Florida funders we did it with embark we've done it with the wave like how we help those orgs help other people to start companies i think it's amazing but like these other founders that we were founders in the tampa tech scene we believed there was nothing to believe in but we were believing that it was going to happen i think the final piece of the pie that i saw come i think we the talent was starting to come The ideas were here, we needed the funding, and Florida funders and other organizations that have now become a funding source for startup tech has been a difference maker the last five years. And I think that's what it's accelerated the volume of companies. So thank you for doing that, and thank everybody for investing.
1: It was a a team team effort. There were a lot of us involved in it. So when you, a lot of people came here during COVID. Yeah. You know, we, our governor was very very open and liberal and uh, very clear about that. So people came from New York that were locked in apartments sure. and whatever, and California, and, and um, many of them have decided to stay. Some will go back. Um, we're coming out of COVID, hopefully this time for good. I, said, I think I said that about a year ago. <laughs> That's when this the version coronavirus, of this version of coronavirus COVID. came along. So, But as you look out five, ten years on the Florida tech ecosystem, what do you see? Well,
0: I think are we'll, we
1: are we going to become one of the major players in, in, in the, across the, in the United States, if not the world, in technology? Are we going to be known for technology and innovation instead of tourism and agriculture?
0: I, I, I think so. I I don't want to say it as defiantly. I hate when we compare ourselves to places with different circumstances. So I never look at us and go, "Oh, how close are we to Silicon Valley or Austin or Boston or whatever?" I never really look at it through that lens. I've always looked at it through the lens of progress against what we've done. And I think if you're asking, will we keep attracting talent and money for the next five to 10 years? Absolutely. I think people have figured out that there's so many different ways to skin that cat, whether it's getting talent, building companies, or getting money. And I think that's happening in other markets besides ours, but I don't think, it's, I don't, I don't think we're going to go backwards from that. I do think that tech startups are going to be prolific in other cities too. So we'll make the gap up, but you know, we'll be in the top 10. Absolutely. the top two or three i just don't see that because i don't care to me that doesn't matter Mm -hmm. Um, do i think that people see florida as more of a tech startup i think the answer is yes i think they're starting to see that when you look at miami and you look at orlando and the space coast and you look at tampa you start to go wow you got three or four areas that are funding and creating these companies the key to it is what we're starting to see now guys like steve mcdonald who's uber successful taking that money and putting it back in guys like Tom wallace guys like arnie bellini saying not only did i make all this money but now i'm investing in the next generation i don't know the number for steve mcdonald but it's more than 100 and and, and i know he does it in more than florida but the fact that he's willing to do that i know part of it's making money but i know steve he's also building the community here and as long as that happens i don't see how it can't be successful
1: yeah i think it's in the dna of Every, every entrepreneur, just about every entrepreneur, to help other entrepreneurs because somebody helped us along the way. Of and course, it's it's a it's. I always say it's my it's it's my favorite way to give back, and it's a lot more fun than nonprofits um, for me. But <laughs> helping the next generation of entrepreneurs. But we're going to get the nonprofits in a second. But I w- I I really believe that Miami and Florida have an opportunity to become one of the, especially with crypto and Miami and people like Peter Thiel moving there, and Orlando Bravo that are staying there, and and, and with our open um, government here, and some of the problems that they have in other parts of the country that are known for tech today, I think we have an opportunity to become a major player in tech, and, and Florida really becoming known for technology and innovation. Yeah, I so. agree. I,
0: I hope our universities co-invest with us, right? The more they can co-invest in getting tech students here that's going to help that problem as well that's the other thing i didn't mention which i think we do okay on but i'd like to see more there of producing more high tech people in this area
1: yeah you brought up a good point and i mentioned that the listeners i, I know i brought up on another other, other podcast but if you haven't been to florida Polytechnic university over in lakeland which is just stem that's all it is science technology engineering math uh graduated about 450 kids Um, a a class. This is Florida's answer to Georgia tech or MIT. And it's, it's, I think it was, I spoke at the commencements uh, last year, I think it was the fourth graduating class. So it's a very new school, Um, but they're doing some really neat stuff there. And, and uh, you bring up a good part, good point about education because we need the talent. Yeah. Think big for kids. Sure. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah. So think big for kids is the name of the charity we started in 2017 And our whole mission is to break the cycle of poverty. And instead of focusing... This is
1: Tony being humble again because you
0: started this. I did with... Yes, I did. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, But I have lots of people helping like everything we do. Um, But it really... A lot of... I I noticed over the last 35 years, lots of things that involve poverty focus on adults. And if you think about welfare and you think about all the different programs, they tend to be adult programs. They tend to be money-oriented food stamps or whatever and when you look over a 40 or 50 year period poverty's gotten worse in the united states the gaps got bigger it actually worked a little bit for about 10 years and then the numbers got worse about 12 percent of the u.s population lives in poverty and that's not even talking about the 10 percent that live real close to poverty so you're talking about 40 50 60 million people and so i lived in poverty i know how difficult it is to break out of the school systems aren't good all of the systems like healthcare, banking, getting a car is all against you because you're a high risk customer for all those industries. So they charge you more. And so to break out of poverty is so, so difficult. And so we do a program that starts with kids in middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And first we just start getting them excited about different careers. We have about 50 partners in the Bay Area, companies like Accenture, Bank of America, ReliaQuest, Tampa General, Nielsen, um, A-Line. And they, they come to our kids and get them excited about a career. Once they get excited after a three-year period um, and they've been exposed to hundreds of different jobs, by the end of eighth grade, they get a full-time mentor from one of our partner companies. And that mentor helps them pick classes. The mentor helps them get better grades. The mentor helps them figure out what do they really want to do over the course of their high school years. And then we, that's the second phase. The third phase is to start working in these companies as an apprentice, as an insurance. Uh, internship job shadowing all of our companies offer those services to our kids and then finally when they get to 18 years old and they're ready to graduate do they graduate and go to work we have companies hiring do they want to graduate and go to a tech school we pay for that do they want to graduate and go to medical school we find a way to scholarship that and so we've had 3500 kids come through the program wow, that's already that's awesome tony we've graduated about 370 so because we started pretty young and I think we'll get to 10,000 here in not too long. I think two years from now, we'll have 10,000 kids in the program. It's That's, not,
1: that's super exciting. Yeah. And, and uh, my hat's off to you. I, I get asked a lot because it, in, many of you probably know these stats, but only 1% of the venture capital-backed companies in the United States are founded by minorities. Um, and... You know, it, 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 I think it's actually blacks. So the blacks uh, represent about twelve percent of the population. Yep. Only one percent of the VC funding nationwide goes to blacks. I think all the venture capitalists, people that sit in my chair, we want to do more. Uh, we want to f- uh, fund more black founders. We want to fund more women founders. We want to, but we we can't make them. We can't create them. And it's a cultural change that starts at a young age. And what you're doing that's going to, if a kid's living in the hood. And he thinks, how do I get out of this hood? It's not I got to play in the NBA or the NFL, or I got to be a drug dealer to get out of here. There's real options, and it's about education. And yep. I think what you're doing is is part of changing that culture where kids grow up believing, hey, you know. It reminds me of Israel when I spent time in Israel. The kids grow up in these kibbutz. They don't want to. They don't go be the next Justin Bieber. They don't want to be the, the, the next. Uh, nba player they want to be the next adam newman and find you know we work and become a billionaire because that happened right you know he's a role model for that exactly that's
0: where he comes from you know tom about 80 something percent of our kids are either black or brown so they would qualify as a minority but more importantly we're just we're we're taking out what i would call all those barriers are first we're creating opportunities but more than just creating the opportunity is we're educating them and then you know a couple people have said well why how do you know that works? Like, how do you, for one? Been doing the program six years. We know it worked because kids are now becoming doctors and they're going to work at the banks and the electrical contractors. So that's starting to happen. But more than that, I'm like, well, tell me how you raised your kid. And they say, oh, we got them exposed to opportunities and we provided some mentoring and we gave them, you know, we paid for college. I'm like, that's what we're doing. And so we're eliminating the fact that they may be in a household with not somebody that's in a professional job, or not somebody that has the time for them. They may love them, but they don't have time for them. And they're not doing all the little things that make them productive adults. And so we're doing the basic things and we're seeing like phenomenal results from it. So you know, we're gonna measure it based on the jobs we get for kids and how much they make compared to their peer group. And we think we can at least double it, but we think the jobs we're creating for the kids so far are all jobs above the poverty line already. And so to be able to accomplish that in one generation without government assistance and just good old-fashioned hard work, it's a startup in its own right, right? It's a startup that's in a growth phase. And the advantage, you know, again, some people are like, well, is it just a charitable thing? It's creating a workforce. So we're creating a workforce that's not there. So if you think about all the companies, whether they're tech or not, that are looking for people to work in their companies, and we know in the U.S., it's a tight labor market. I'm tapping into a part of the population that's not participating in the job force, and so now all of a sudden we're creating new workers. To your point, and many of them are minorities, and many of them will become entrepreneurs. Of all the things I've done, I feel like it's the most rewarding thing, just because it's so life changing for the people we're impacting. But I do feel the same way about. That's young. Awesome too. Yeah. I do feel the same way about young entrepreneurs too. And I know you do. Like when when you work with a young person that doesn't know something and you get to say, hey, you know, this is how you raise capital or this is how you start a tech company. And then you see them do it 10 years later. I know I've seen how you get this feeling of accomplishment that in some ways is better than your own accomplishment. You're like, Wow, my little kind of piece of help or advice help that person and look how it, it changed their life. I, like to be honest with you, I'm a pretty selfish son of a bitch. Like I get off on that success that when I watch other people get successful, I'm like, wow, I was a little part of that and it feels awesome. So there's something about that that becomes infectious.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it, I think it's also the whole you're the coach. You're the coach, not the player. Right. I mean, we, we were on the field playing for years, now it's our turn. Now we're the old guys. Now the real old guys are on the sidelines <laughs> coaching. I agree. So I agree. Um, we got a little short on time. There was a couple – there was one other thing. I, I know you got a new gig, App yeah. space. Is App that what space. it's called? Yeah. G- give us a quick – you're going back into the workforce, so this is – I mean, I, I, yes. not that you ever quit doing anything. Just, <laughs> Tony's been on boards and doing – think big for kids. He's busier than anybody I know. But uh, so you're taking a full-time gig. Tell us about – Appspace. Yeah,
0: I've, I've actually AppSpace is a, a software company. Um, it's focused on two things. It's focused on employee communication software and workplace management software all in one app. So we're calling it workplace experience so that if you think about the new world we live in, where you have global companies with employees all over the world, some can't come back to work. We manage that experience for very large Fortune 500 companies. So we have about 150 of the Fortune 500 as customers, and we provide our SaaS software to them. We're roughly an $80 million SaaS company. Wow. Um, we've impressive. got maybe 375 people all across the globe. We have 80 people in Kuala Lumpur, 30 in Barcelona, people in London, Australia, and then, of course, in the U.S. Um, it's fun back in the seat. You know, I, I think I told you at different times, like, I was feeling... Like I wanted to do one more. I thought I was going to do a startup. I was close to doing a startup. I still am going to fund this startup. But um, I was on the board of this company. They asked me to become the CEO and I just couldn't resist, frankly. <laughs> so, Well, anyway. I'm sure it'll work out well yeah. and
1: good luck with that. Thank you. So I, I I wanted to try something new. I haven't done this before in the podcast. I, I've Gonna, I watch Kramer on CNBC. I don't know, you yeah, know that sure guy. Yeah, sure. He's crazy. Yeah, he's crazy. But he does his lightning round yeah, thing. So I'm I, in. this is the lightning round. All right. And what I'm going to do is just ask you six questions and you just give me real quick answers. Okay. So what are you most proud of? Uh, think big. Think big. Good. What's uh, Of all the emerging technologies, which one are you most excited about coming on? AI. Artificial intelligence. I'm sorry,
0: artificial intelligence. Oh, good, good. I'm an acronym fiend. Major regret. Um didn't play baseball longer.
1: Okay. Uh, if you wouldn't have become an entrepreneur, what you what would your what would have been your career you would have liked your second totally different.
0: I, I this sounds so kid like I wish I worked in the space program. I've just been fascinated with space travel as a kid. I still am. Um, I am afraid of height, so it's an odd combination. <laughs> But, like, being able to figure out those problems and, you know, when you watch a movie like Apollo 13, I love that So do you have stuff. a
1: desire to do one of these, uh, you know, go up in, the, in one of uh, Bezos or one of those guys' uh, I, spacecraft? I
0: would do it, but they would have to have me on so many drugs to get me in the plane <laughs> and strap me down. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated with space travel. So, And I'm looking forward to Mars and everything else that is in front of us. I hope we get to see the colonization of, of another planet. I, I'd be so... I think it's going to happen. I think you and I will be very old, but I do think that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I had uh, dinner two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I was at Stanford. I was at Stanford with Alan Alden. Sure. So Buzz was, yeah. you know, Neil Armstrong, Buck, two first guys on the on the moon, and, and I was talking to him about. It. He doesn't think it's going to happen. He thinks Mars is a wasteland. He thinks Elon's crazy. He knows Elon. Yeah. He thinks we'll get there. He thinks colonizing it's a whole another thing. But anyway, uh, favorite public figure Abraham Lincoln. And uh, if you were starting a company today and you kind of alluded to this, what would it be?
0: Um, I think I would do something that combined artificial intelligence and creating the next workforce, that Good. combination. All
1: right, Tony. Been great. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you Tom. so much to our listeners out there. Thank you. Uh, if you would like to learn more about Florida Funders or floridafunders.com, If you're a founder looking for funding, you can go on. And our application process, we've really simplified it. It's down to about five minutes to get into our queue to see if there's a fit. We're always looking for great founders and and, uh, companies to uh, back. And if you're an investor and you're interested in uh, investing with us, uh, we have a whole side of our portal at floridafunders.com geared to you. So we'd love to have you join us on our mission and our journey. Tony, again, thanks. This has been great.
0: Thanks, Tommy. Florida Funders is an early-stage venture capital firm that blends a venture fund and a crowdfunding platform. They are investing in some of the most exciting early-stage technology companies in the state of Florida.